0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Bay Books Podcast. I'm April Berry.
1: And I'm Daisy Ray. This is the podcast where we review and interview indie authors and we also give out writing prompts for Flash Fiction. And this week it's Flash Fiction Week and the prompt is...
0: Midnight Library.
1: And we've had some brilliant stories in, I have to say, we've had stories about blind dates, about libraries of personalities, in my opinion. We've had all kinds of subject matter. So thank you so much to everybody that has sent stories in.
0: We do think that we've got three cracking stories to tell you, though, today. So, Daisy, I'm going to let you go first.
1: Okie dokie. So the first one out of the bag that we've chosen to share with you was written by Sue Hayward, aptly called the Midnight Library. (laughs) I loved visiting my grandma's house. It was an old Victorian house in Matlock and every school holiday, my sister Helen and I would stay over. We would have a lovely time making new friends with the children in the surrounding area. But Helen and I were always told, don't go near the library after dark by my grandma. And when we were little, these words would scare us. But now we were inquisitive. One night, Helen and I were wondering on what to do. There were only so many times we could play snakes and ladders or Scrabble, and mostly Helen would win. We heard Grandma go to her room and close the door, so we sneaked out and walked to the library. I thought I could hear whispering beyond the door. Was it my imagination? I unlocked the door, and as I opened it, it creaked loudly. Helen and I looked at each other in horror and stood stock still. But no, we didn't wait, Grandma. The library was a large room with rows of bookshelves crammed full of books. Underneath the windows at the end of the room were window seats padded with soft cushions. I went over to have a look out of the window at what I assumed was the garden, but it was cloaked in darkness. I walked back towards a bookshelf, picked up a book which was called The Victorian Era and carried it over to the window seat. I sat down and opened the book. The whisperings got louder. Turn the page and enter the book, the whispering said. I slammed the book shut and called Helen over to me. Listen to this, I said as I opened the book, but Helen couldn't hear anything. She then drifted over to her own book that she seemed to be engrossed in. I settled down on my seat and reopened my book. The whispering got louder and the pages seemed to shimmer. I put my hand on the page and it disappeared inside the book, followed shortly by my arm. I looked at Helen. Help me, I shouted, but it seemed to be a mere echo as I was pulled into the pages. My body disappeared, then my legs, and I was now inside the book. I looked all around me. I was in the middle of a hallway with Christmas garlands going up the stairs. I looked at my clothing and I was wearing a Victorian maid's outfit. "'What's happening?' I thought. "'I walked into the kitchen and there was merriment at the table "'with housemaids and other staff alike. "'They didn't seem to notice that I didn't belong "'and I hoped that they wouldn't speak to me. "'But, oi, you over there, pass me that jug of cider from the side. "'This is a day of celebration,' said the cook. "'So I did and placed it on the table. "'One of the servants looked at me peculiarly. "'Who are you?' she asked. "'Elsa.' I said as I walked slowly towards the door. She doesn't belong here, said one voice. Get her, said another. I ran into the hall up the stairs and I could hear the running of feet behind me. So I opened a door, stepped in and closed it as quietly as I could behind me. I soon heard them run past my door. I looked behind me and saw I was in a bedroom. I knew I couldn't stay here, so when I thought it was safe to leave, I opened the door and made my way back down to the hallway. The wall opposite started to shimmer and a pair of hands came through. Grab hold, said a faraway voice. I held on tightly and was pulled through. I was back inside the library. I looked down and was wearing my own clothes. Where did you go? asked Helen. I really don't know, but I'm getting out of here. I said, we never put the books back that we'd been reading and we ran from the library. As we closed the door, we heard a voice from the shadows say, I warned you about the midnight library. Helen and I looked at each other and ran.
0: That's quirky. I do like that. Well done, Sue. Thank you very much for that one.
1: Excellent, the imagination of some of the people that write for us is amazing. I was so chuffed to share that with everybody.
0: I was kind of taken away to a world of upstairs downstairs or Downton Abbey or
1: <laughs> that kind of house is that what was in your mind?
0: yeah, that was what's that's what was in my mind, but that's the um the mark of a good storyteller being able to invoke imagination in the reader as well
1: absolutely a hundred percent. Well, I think we'll read another story. You will be reading this one. And it's a change of pace. This one is more relevant about modern times and some of the hardships that are going on in the world. But it's a brilliantly written story. Over to you, April.
0: Thank you very much. So this one is called, wait for it, The Midnight Library. A completely different one, though, to the one that Daisy has just read. This one was submitted by Sandy Biddles. The moment that missiles commenced to fall on Nagia, the birds had fled, swiftly and silently, amplifying the eerie silence between deafening blasts and chaos. The thick walls of the great people's library, padded from floor to ceiling with leather-bound volumes, enclosed alcoves which hoarded and protected ancient tomes, and iron boxes of tightly rolled manuscripts, shuddered. For a while, displaced and desperate people had come to the library seeking shelter within its cavernous space. But during the months of onslaught, they had all since moved on in search of loved ones, refuge further from the missiles or a place of their own choosing to wait, largely in vain, for rescue. It was precisely midnight when the last bomb fell on Nagya. All that stood still in the grey-broken landscape was the library. discernible by its height and symmetry, against the uneven angular rubble and a grey and golden cupola glinting in the pale moonlight. All clocks had stopped, has had the barking of dogs and any sound of human life. Within that landscape of frozen time, within the library, there came a small stirring of activity. The librarian and caretaker, Abu Dali, who had followed generations of his family in curating the library and nurturing it like a child of his own, crept cautiously out of his small office, where he had sheltered from the bombs, into the book-lined atrium. The space was supported with black and blue-veined alabaster pillars and a sign in several languages above his head, ironically bequested silence. The doors of the building now stood open but wholly undamaged by the blasts. Outside, a dense, acrid cloud of smoke and ashes swirled swiftly, yet aimlessly around. The wiry, white-bearded man surveyed the scene before him, with an equanimity afforded him by his years and wisdom, yet feeling a crushing weight of responsibility for the body of knowledge which separated the survivors of Nagya from an age of darkness. Dazed alone, Abu Dali sat on the stone steps of the portico. Encircled by columns of marble, their vastness of scale reducing him to a small shadow, waiting for daybreak. All power supplies had been destroyed early in the conflict, and his supply of candles was severely limited. Reluctantly, closing his eyes, the librarian dreamt of masked and hooded figures swarming through the building like locusts, burning the books. But with a start, he awoke with the sun burning his face. As weeks and days went by, the librarian continued to guard the library, stranded in an empty moonscape, aware only of the passing of night and day. He had no means of communication, but had very little to say in the aftermath of events. Meanwhile, worldwide reporting of the situation in Nagya continued to dominate the headlines. The Enemy Eliminated Humanitarian Catastrophe a miracle of preservation of cultural heritage. Abu Dali waited, his task accomplished and waited. Time still frozen for the old librarian. The Midnight Library was a beacon, a reminder in the void that was Nagya.
1: Such a poignant one, isn't
0: it? It is very poignant. And I've got to say at this moment in time, quite relevant really.
1: Yeah, it's very topical of the day. Again,
0: transported to another another world.
1: Yeah.
0: I can see um Abu Dhali just sat on those stone steps. I'm not quite sure whether I'm visualizing this as present day, given obviously the events that are going off in the world at the moment.
1: Yeah.
0: And then at other points in the story, I'm going back hundreds and hundreds of years to sort of the the time of the Crusades.
1: I guess it's whatever images come up in the reader's head. I see it as modern times, but with this ornate, fantastic library stood completely out of place in its surroundings. And as it's the building that remains standing and it's standing and it's like shining like a beacon, I just think it's, A wonderful piece of imagery. It's it's beautiful writing.
0: It is. It's really, really good. And I suppose I have to stop my imagination running away with me because obviously in the Crusades, we didn't have people dropping bombs, did we? Very, very poignant, very, very thought-provoking. Thank you very much for that, Sandy.
1: We'd love to hear everybody's opinions on these stories, you know. So if you want to pop along to our socials, we are more than happy, April and I both, read what's on there. So if you want to go and have an after about any of the stories we read to you, do, we'd love to hear your opinion. So we have decided to read you an extra one because it was quirky and different. It's quite a short one. It's from Dean Wrigley. It's a completely different take on Midnight Library. And that's what made this one a little bit joyous. So we wanted to share it with you.
0: I, I have got a confession, and I do apologise, Dean. But when I read it, I thought, what's this got to do with the library? And then I had a conversation with Daisy in the penny dropped.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right, I shall read this one for you then. This is the Midnight Library, a la Dean Wrigley. The children were sleeping soundly, and she knew why. It had all been part of the plan. She stole quietly down the stairs, all the time praying the creaking steps wouldn't expose her descent to her overnight guests. She made her way to the kitchen, and after grabbing a spoon from the drainer, she opened the fridge door. The light came on and illuminated the contents. There before her, sparkling in the cool spotlight, were the remains of the previous day's labour but there in the centre was the target of her quiet expedition. She had planned this all along. From the moment she had decided on which pudding she would present at her dinner party, she knew that every decision she made would lead to this moment. She reached in with both hands and gently lifted the bowl up from the shelf, gradually withdrawing her arm while trying to avoid causing anything else from losing balance and toppling out. A huge sense of relief quelled her shaking hands as she realised the bowl was now on the edge of the shelf and she could hold it with one hand while getting at the bounty using the spoon she wielded. She gently scratched at the edge of the bowl until she had enticed a slither of cling film to come away from the edge to allow her to pull it back to expose the trifle underneath. Her heart was pounding. She knew the pieces of sponge in the jelly at the bottom of the trifle were extra potent, seeing as she had soaked them in brandy for much longer than those in the layers above. She dipped the spoon in, straightened it out and gouged out a chunk of the sponge from the bottom layer. She lifted the spoon to her mouth and covered it with her lips. The sweetness of the jelly was the first thing she noticed. But moments later, the hit from the alcohol was the overpowering taste. She rolled her eyes with pleasure and upon opening them she caught a glimpse of free from preservatives on the label of a jar of chutney. She dug in a second time with similar results. Store in a cool dry place was the instruction on a jar of anchovy fillets. The third visit to the bowl and the alcohol was beginning to linger on the tip of her tongue. Refrigerate, after opening, was written in bold white letters on the bottle of tomato ketchup. The fourth mouthful had to be the last one. Suitable for vegetarians was the reassuring promise on a jar of hoisin sauce. She swallowed the trifle and licked the spoon clean. She put the spoon on the lip of the fridge door, replaced the cling film and gently pushed the bowl back into the centre of the fridge. She grabbed the edge of the fridge door and closed it and was shocked to come face to face with the bleary-eyed 11-year-old who said rather too loudly, Can I have some? She put her finger to her lips and drew out a long, Shh!
0: Very, very quirky. Thanks for that one, Dean. Yeah, it took me a while to work it out. I had to have that discussion with you, but now I get it and I find it, yeah. a, A good, good take on the midnight library because... I can imagine that each and every one of the people that you know at some point have spent their time with the head in the midnight library.
1: It's quite a good place to be, especially over Christmas.
0: Absolutely.
1: I do love a trifle. I would be in Dean's Midnight Library.
0: No, I wouldn't. I don't you see I'm not I'm not a trifle person. Really,
1: what would entice you into this midnight library? Um Cheese.
0: Yeah, cheese, I think. Nice, nice piece of of Wensleydale from Hawes or <laughs> a bit of manchego or something like that. Yeah. Coupled with some really, really nice, sweet, juicy tomatoes.
1: Ugh. No, I'm happy with the Wensleydale, but you can keep the tomatoes. Do not need those at all. Thank you very much.
0: No, you can't. You can't have cheese without tomatoes. And of course, chutney.
1: I like a cheese sandwich and a cup of tea.
0: Where did we get from Midnight Library to you eating cheese butties with a cup of tea? You like boring cheese anyway. I
1: do like boring cheese. I like boring food.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: See what you've done, Dean. Yeah. Let's get back on track, shall we?
0: I'm now picking on Daisy yet again.
1: Standard. Anyway, next week we are back to reviewing a new book. So what have we got coming up on the list for next week?
0: Uh, We've got a book called Control. By Paul McMurrah. Oh,
1: fantastic.
0: Yeah, we've got an interview coming up with him as well. Um, It is about an event that interests me or gets my my juices stirring. Interest is possibly the wrong word. Blood boiling, perhaps, is a better word to use.
1: I was chuffed when I first read Reliance, which is the first one of these two books. And Control is the sequel. And It doesn't have the shock factor because it doesn't have the solar storms that knock out all of the power on the entire globe, but it is very dark.
0: So this is my first toe dip.
1: Into Paul McMurray.
0: Yeah, (laughs) so to speak. Better just clear that up there.
1: He is joining us for next week's episode. So really looking forward to that and to talking about control and all things writing and what Paul's journey looks like going forward.
0: Yeah, I can't wait for that. So we will be back next week with a new episode. So until then, take care of yourself and look after each other.
1: And just as a little bit of a heads up, the next Flash Fiction, should you want to participate, is the Unreliable Mirror. Until next week, take care of each other.
0: Bye. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter?
1: And if you want to send in your flash fiction submissions, you just need to email us at bearbookspod1 at gmail.com. And now that you're part of the Bear Books family, why not share us with all the bookworms and creatives in your life? join me daisy ray on the talk poetry to me podcast where we dive into the hearts and minds of poets and spoken word artists unveiling emotions sharing stories and embracing the power of words tune in to discover the voices that paint our world with truth talk poetry to me you can listen wherever you download your podcasts